0: The following audio is from a sermon series from Paul's First Epistle to the Corinthians. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com.
1: Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord.
0: It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. Now this is... One of the most famous lines ever written. It was penned by Charles Dickens in his book, A Tale of Two Cities, and was written about London and Paris during the French Revolution. The quote is meant to highlight contradictions, right? That in one moment, depending on your perspective, it could simultaneously be the best ever and the worst ever. Just so happens that the text we're studying today is also an example of contradictions. In the church of Corinth, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Now, if you're just joining us, or if you kind of just open up your Bible, or this is the first time, maybe you're reading this in a while, and you read 1 Corinthians 13, uh, you might not see it that. You might not see that right away. You might not get that uh, contradiction that's going on here. This chapter on love is often, I would say, usually misunderstood. This is without a doubt the most well-known and oft-quoted prose uh, ever written about love. I highly doubt that there's a person in this room today who's, who hasn't heard this or read it before most of the time. It's on Hallmark cards, right? It's quoted at weddings. It's on plaques and pictures that adorn our home, maybe even a coffee cup, right, with a cup of Joe in the morning. Oh to drink it with love on the mind right it's usually sentimental it's sappy ooey gooey right this uh text it waxes eloquently and it rolls off the tongue there's no doubt it's beautiful it's some of the best of uh human's ability to write right it's some of the best human prose out there it's shakespearean let's say The words just kind of roll off the page, and we nod our heads and say, Yeah, love. That's so nice. But when you understand the context, as if you've been here with us over the last few months, as you come to understand the context that's going on in this church in Corinth that Paul is writing, you see that this is anything but nice. It's not a love lullaby written for two lovers as they stand before God on their wedding day. This actually is a stinging and pointed rebuke. This text was not written to comfort, but to confront. It was meant to aggressively change the Corinthians' minds, to change their hearts, and to change their direction. They were getting sidetracked, from the gospel, and this was like a slap in the face or a nicely tossed grenade in the lap. Have fun. It was the best of times, right? This church was an amazing example to the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul told us us earlier in chapter 6 that God had built this church out of the sexually immoral Out of idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, and swindlers. That the message of the gospel came to town. A town that nobody would expect to see any uh, Christianity pop up, any gospel movement take place. It, the gospel came to a town that nobody expected, and it changed the worst of the worst. The, the wildest, the richest, the least likely to go to church people embraced Jesus, and Paul says they were, they were washed. They were justified. They were made right with God. People far from God were brought near through the gospel and became a brand new church and probably at this time was the most unlikely places on planet Earth. The most unchurched, unlikely cities on Earth at this time was the city of Corinth. Now, that was great, right? It was the best of times in those regards. But it was also the worst of times. See, this church was full of contradiction, They had been reconciled to God, but couldn't reconcile with one another. They had been given amazing grace by God, but they were suing each other in pagan courts. They had been given spiritual gifts by God to help one another, and instead they were using them to build a name for themselves. And then those who weren't as gifted or weren't gifted in the same ways, they were envious and jealous of others. Why do they have that gift and I don't? And it's into this hotbed of contradiction that Paul lovingly tosses his grenade. And look how it starts. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, I can have all the eloquence in the world. I can be a world-renowned order. I can write and speak with brilliance. But if I don't have love, I'm nothing. And he also says, if I speak in the tongues of angels. Now, there's a lot of con- you know, controversy kind of over that. Is that speaking in tongues? What specifically is that? Most, a lot of commentators say, yes, that's probably speaking in tongues. So he's saying... You can speak brilliantly in your language and you can speak in tongues. But if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. Now, there's Pentecostals out there who say that you, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a, a believer in Jesus Christ. But Paul says, no, 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 no. You can speak in tongues and still not be anything without love. Without love, what does he say? You become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Useless annoying noise. This is so direct. This is so pointed that you know when the Corinthians first read this, they blushed. I mean, they were smaller than we are today. And at the time, people would pop up and speak in tongues. People would pop up and give words of knowledge. People would quote different things during the service. So... And if you've ever been a part of that type of church, you know it's almost always the same people who do it, right? This guy pops up and he says his thing. This guy pops up and he does his thing. This woman does her thing. And Paul comes in and goes, oh, those who speak in tongues, you know what? Without love, you're nothing. Can you imagine all the people who've spoken? They're like, oh, right? It's like me coming in here and go, oh, yeah, that guy behind the microphone who sings worship songs, if you ain't got love, you're nothing. Everybody in the room looks at Joel, right? Wherever <laughs> Joel's at, Right? That's what, I mean, that's how, this is 60 to 70 people in a little church, and Paul's calling them out very pointedly, all right? Let's keep reading. And if I have prophetic powers, that means prophetic powers, either you can rightly divide the word of God and you can preach well, or also you can somehow predict the future, you can kind of see, you know what, that's probably not a good thing. You probably shouldn't go that direction. You should go this direction. He's saying, you can have prophetic powers, but without love, nothing. Keep going. If I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. Nothing. Now that is a big statement. I am nothing. He doesn't say my gifts are nothing. He didn't say my talents are nothing. He said this is an identity here. He says I am nothing. If I am gifted, but I don't love, I am nothing. Now let's just keep let's keep reading. What else he say? If I give away. All I have. So incredibly generous. And if I even deliver up my body to be burned. But have not love, I gain nothing. Now, we might think, why would he give up his body to be burned? Like, listen, you need to go and you need to see what's going on in Mosul right now. You need to look and see what's going on over in Iraq right now, where the Christians in Iraq have three choices. They can either recant Christianity and convert, or they can be killed or they can leave. Churches that have been Christian churches for 4,000 years now have a black flag, a black Muslim flag raised above them, and all the, the pastors and all the churches have been booted. They've had to flee, right? And Paul's saying, you can give away everything you have, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. And he says, you can even say, I'll be a martyr, I'll lay my body down, I'll lay my life down, but without love, you are still nothing, Now, I want you to just remember who Paul's writing this to. This is so funny. Like, let's talk about love. Yeah. You're nothing without it. Right? That's how he's starting. And who's Paul writing to? Paul's writing to his spiritual babies. Right? The converts that he made when he was in Corinth, when he preached the gospel. He's writing back to them from Ephesus where he's planting churches. And Paul's looking in, listen to me, church, at a highly gifted Highly charismatic church that has a lot of phenomenal conversion stories. But Paul says, you have been sidetracked by nothingness. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? To be sidetracked by nothingness. This is how the Christians in Corinth were living their life. If I have prophecy, I'm somebody. Paul says, you're nothing. If I can speak in tongues, I know I'm somebody. Paul says, you're nothing. If, if I can give up all, if I can be really generous and be the type of person that really is generous and people look at me, that guy's generous. If I can be that type of person, I know I'm good. I know I'm somebody. Paul says, you're nobody. You're nothing. Now, I'm gonna speak to this church. I know I'm somebody because I'm gifted. Look at my helping. Look how I help others. Look at my service. How self sacrificial I am. How I give them my time. Look at my counseling. I'm such a gifted counselor. Look at my administration. Look at my prophecy, my tongues, my giving. Look at those I've discipled. See, listen, listen, church. What he's saying is when I get low, when I doubt, when I get fearful, the way that I counsel my heart out of my depression is to say, look what I've done. See, this proves that I'm somebody. My fears aren't true. I really am a good person. So when I begin to doubt my own goodness, when I begin to doubt am I really somebody, what, do I, what am I tempted to do? I'm tempted to look at my gifts and say, see, my gifts prove that I have an identity. My gifts prove that I am somebody. My gifts prove that I'm good. Look at all the people that I helped. I can't be bad. Look at all the people that I helped. Well, Paul says, you can't do that. Paul says they don't correlate. I heard an illustration by Tim Keller, and it's, I'm changing it a little bit, but it's similar to this. It says like this. That's like wanting to know. You're driving down the road in your car, and you're wanting to know, am I out of gas? Do I need to pull over and get gas? And you look at the oil gauge. And you're looking at the oil gauge, and the oil gauge is saying good, so you're like, oh, I'm good. See, here's the deal, if you didn't know this. (laughs) The oil gauge has a little wire, I think, probably, that goes all the way back to the oil reservoir, and it tells you, is there oil in the reservoir, right? And the gas has another little wire that goes to a completely different place to tell you if there's gas in the tank. See, and your gifts don't correlate with your identity. That's what Paul's saying. So, Just because you're gifted, you can't follow that wire back to tell you who you are. It goes to a completely different place. And what Paul's basically saying, and I'm gonna, is you can be gifted to the moon and not even be a Christian. You can prophesy and not be a Christian. You can speak in tongues and not be a Christian. You can give away everything you got and not be a Christian. Has nothing to say with your identity in Christ. You can be wise, you can be brilliant, you can be well read. Your theology can be on point and you not be a Christian. Gifts do not tell us that we're good with God. They don't tell us we're somebody. Do you see how confrontational this is? Paul says, your gifts, they prove you're gifted. That's it. They don't confirm upon us an identity. They don't prove that we're Christians. They don't prove that we're good. Paul says, you can be gifted to the stars and be nothing. Nothing. But this, see, this struggle for our identity, this struggle for finding oneself through our behavior, it isn't just isolated to religious people. Religious people like to find their identities in things like Bible knowledge, church attendance, financial giving, and the people that they've helped. But irreligious people they share the same struggle. Listen, if you're not a Christian in here, when things are going poorly in your life, or you're having like, you're having a dark season, you're feeling a little depressed, what do you go to to tell you that you're somebody good? Is it your business success, maybe things are going poorly at home? So when you're having all those dark nights, you, you remind yourself of all the good you've done in business, how well things are going, how many people you've helped, how many customers you've served. Is it your statistics in your field of ex- expertise? You know what, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a professional, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm high, I'm up there, people come to me, people need me, I'm I'm, I'm helping the world. Is it your spouse or your kids? Maybe, maybe things aren't going well at work, but you're like, what? Well, hey, my wife loves me. I'm, I'm killing it at home. Right? My kids tell me that I'm good. Maybe it's your degree, your education. Anytime you doubt yourself, just look. That PhD tells you you're somebody. That degree on the wall, that plaque, it tells you you're somebody. Now, What what do I mean? There's an iconic depiction of this in the classic movie, Rocky 1. Now, Rocky is getting ready for this epic fight. If you haven't seen it, what's wrong with you? Are you American or not? Okay, here we go. Rocky's getting ready for this epic fight with Apollo Creed. And there's many in here who aren't American. You need to watch it. I'm just going to tell you that. This, he's getting ready for this epic fight with Apollo Creed and Rocky was this guy from the neighborhood and he's kind of got uh, bumped up. He gets to fight the champ. And, a, and Rocky says this to his girlfriend, like I think it was the night before his fight. He says this, I just want to prove something that I ain't no bum. It don't matter if I lose, don't matter if he opens my head. The only thing I want to do is go the distance. That's all. Nobody's ever gone 15 rounds with creed. If I go them 15 rounds and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know, then I'm going to know then I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. He says, "If I go 15 rounds, I know I'm somebody." Tim Keller says, "That's why you're working so hard. That's why you get so angry when somebody makes you look bad. See, you're fighting for your identity. You're trying to prove to yourself and everyone around you that you ain't no bum. Right? This 15 rounds, this one thing, if I can do this, I know. I prove to myself and everybody else that I ain't no bum. I am somebody. Paul says, you can't do that. Your gifts your service your sacrifice your success does not and cannot tell you that you are somebody and we know that's true for rocky because they made 10 more movies of him trying to be somebody right i didn't he he went them 15 rounds he ain't no bum rocky 2 rocky 3 rocky 4 rocky 5 right he keeps on he why cuz it 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 can't confirm upon you an identity doesn't correlate. You're looking at the oil gauge to tell you if there's any gas in the tank. And this is where Christianity is just, it's striking. It's so contradictory to religion. So contradictory to moralism. Religion is, if I do these certain things, I prove to God and others that I'm a good person and God will accept me. Moralism is, I know I'm good because look at my behavior. It's all my outward, it's all about the outward appearance. Do good, be good. Paul says there's only one thing that can tell you that you're somebody. And that's love. Love without love i'm going to just let you know i'm going to spend several weeks in this these texts so i'm only going to get like three verses so i ain't got to like squeeze a bunch into today so it might be a little might be a little shorter might be just to let you know <clears throat> paul says love is the test Without love, Paul says, we're nothing. That love is the only gauge that proves we're something. That giftedness, power, success, these things don't prove anything. Now, here we have a bit of a quandary. How is love different than anything else? First off, I want you to know that love isn't... Uh, just a feeling, right? Love's not just a feeling. We we get that um, as we begin to study this text when it says, love is patient. Boom! Starts right off. Love is patient. Now, I would have liked, love is rainbows and tulips and love is chocolate cake and love is, right, long walks on the beach and love is ooey-gooey feelings, but he just straight up says, love is patient speaks right into real life. Right? <laughs> love waits. Well. Mm. See, and I, we're going to we're going to study this a little bit in the next coming weeks. I think our culture, we want to go to this text and go, love, see it's all about love. What that means is I never speak I would never confront anyone I just let let them be who they want to be and let them do what they want to do and let them say what they want to say. And I just kind of float around with no real opinions and no hard edges or hard lines. And we just are real soft and we're just in this world of love. And this text has got so many hard edges. Paul doesn't say love feels ooey, he says love is patient. So then I look at myself and go, impatient, ooh. Love is something here. I think in our culture, just love is just, hmm. What is it? Like literally, in our culture, what is it? When people say, well, I, I used to love him, now I don't love him. Or I'm, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Wrong. No. What is it? I no longer choose to love you. That's what we're saying. I no longer want to be patient with you. I no longer want to be kind to you. I no longer want to have self-control. That's what we're saying. It's hard edges. So, but how is love any different than gifts? Why, Why can't I go to love to say, I'm going to go, okay, if I want to know if I'm a, I'm, I'm going to just say this. this is, if I want to know I'm a Christian, if I want to know I'm good with God, I can't go to look at my talents. I can't go look at my Bible knowledge. I can't go look at my gifts. I have to look at my heart. I have to look at my love. But how is love then any different? How is love any different? This is how love is different. Gifts, success, power, what these things do they basically put a projector. I'm gonna do this. They put a projector on your heart and your gifts and your talent and money, all they do is project what's in your heart. If there's selfishness in your heart, when you get successful, you'll be even more selfish. It will actually amplify and project out your selfishness. If you're cruel, when you get power, your cruelty will be amplified, right? If you're one of those power-hungry middle managers, the worst thing that can happen to you is for you to be promoted, right? Because now you're, <laughs> you know, you're on upper level. Now you have a lot of minions you can control. See, gifts, spiritual gifts, knowledge even, it's a gift to you he says knowledge they don't change a person's heart they amplify it all they do is take what's internal and make it external they take what's inside and they make it public so when we see these Corinthians walking all over them, each other, trying to be spiritual, trying to outdo one another in spiritual gifts, all we see is they have a selfish heart on the inside that their ego is huge and they get spiritual gifts that are given to them by grace and they still use those spiritual gifts to make their self big, to amplify their ego. But... Love is different. See, love doesn't just amplify what's in a person's heart. Love actually changes a person's heart. Love gets inside and reconfigures a person's heart, changes them at the center of who they are. See, moralism out here Change. Tries to change externals, but as soon as you give that person some power, as soon as you put that person on a stage, as soon as you give that person what they really want, their success, they can't hold it in any longer, and they become tyrants. They look down on others. Why don't you work hard? I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I was nobody. I made myself somebody. Why can't all you guys do that? See, but love Love is the Trojan horse. Love gets inside of a person and changes their DNA. So this whole chapter, actually the last three, really the three chapters, you got 12, 13, 14, are all about Paul showing how the gifts of the spirit are of far less Value than the fruit of the Spirit, love. Many churches are far more enamored by the fruit by the gifts of the Spirit than they are by the fruit of the Spirit. I can't wait to break that. Next week we're gonna spend some time on the fruit of the Spirit. And you notice I said fruit of the Spirit, it's not fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. That's one thing. That's the fruit. See, when the spirit of God comes into your life and takes that heart of stone and gives you that DNA transplant and gives you a whole new heart, what he does is he begins to produce patience, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. He doesn't do it one at a time. Your personality does that. Your, gifts, your giftings do that. So if you want to go, oh, you know what? I know I'm growing in grace because I'm really patient. But you have no self-control? That's not the fruit. That's your gifting. This was good for me because I lack in all of those except for maybe self-control. And I used to go, well, I'm just not a patient guy. I'm just not a gentle guy. I'm just not a kind guy. These softies got all this, they got to jump on me. This ain't fair. But the Spirit produces them all at the same time. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Love is self-control. When the Spirit of God saves a person and the Spirit of God works on a person and begins to sanctify them, that means make them more like Jesus, they grow in all of these areas at once. See, gifts don't show that I'm a Christian fruit can. Fruit doesn't make me a Christian, but fruit can prove that I have the Spirit at work, that I'm grafted into the vine that is Jesus Christ. See, there's this tendency, though. There's this tendency that I want to use my knowledge or my service or my gifts to tell me that I am somebody, that I'm good, But Paul looks at us and says, no, you can't do that. The only thing that can show the world that you are truly somebody, that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, is your love. But Justin, we talk about there's only two things for the believer, faith and repentance. How is love, you know, how is love the deal? Why isn't faith the deal? Why isn't it just what I believe, right? I believe it, so that's that's who I am. See, this is what Paul's getting at. It takes more than head knowledge. Many people correlate faith with a cognitive, a a cognitive acceptance of the gospel. Jesus came, He died, He lived. Okay, yes, I believe that. But Jonathan Edwards, in his, uh, uh, he's got a book on this text. And it's called Charity and Its Fruits. And he says two things. First off, why does Paul list off all these gifts? Because they're things in which men are exceedingly prone to trust in. Men and women are exceedingly prone to put our faith in all of these gifts that we have. Our behavior. How well we're performing. How well we're behaving. But what Paul says, listen... For those of us who, who tend to go, oh, I, I get the gospel. Oh, I understand it. Oh, I could verbally recite it back to you. Paul says, no, 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 that's not true faith. That's like light without heat. Okay? He says that's light without heat. Light is, I have a cognitive understanding of it. I have an intellectual assent to the truths of the gospel. But when God saves a person, when God changes a person, he doesn't give light without heat. That He does enlighten the mind. and Oh, I'm a sinner. Oh, I need Jesus. Oh, Jesus is the answer. But he also brings a warmth. He also brings a heat. He also brings a passion. He also brings love that changes a person's heart. Paul goes on later in Galatians 5 to say that only faith working through love counts for anything. See, faith working through love. James says faith without works is dead. What are they getting at? What are they trying to say? That all of us can go, yes, I believe the gospel up here. We can embrace it with our head. And that's the same kind of faith that demons have, the Bible says. Demons believe in God and shudder. But they have no saving faith. Their heart is not warmed. They have light and no heat. See, love is our faith gone public. There's a type of faith that's just knowledge but when true faith works, it comes out as love. If you remember back, way back in chapter 8, Paul's been building up to this moment. In chapter 8, he said that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up the church. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now... I think this text is simultaneously terrifying and wonderful. It's terrifying because what Paul is saying is: heaven is a world for lovers, it's a world where only lovers go. Jesus himself said, "Love God, and love others." And this text shows us he has nothing. He's not talking about feelings. We just start with the first one: <laughs> love is patient. Are you patient with God? Do you rest in His timing? When He takes something from you, do you say, "I didn't need it"? When he brings someone to you that messes with your life, do you thank him for it? Are you patient with God? Are do you bang the table, bang the steering wheel? Write in the journal? Why, why, why? Hurry, hurry, hurry. Are you patient? Are you that's God. Let's just talk. Are you patient with others? Are you patient with those in your missional community who get on your nerves? Are you patient with those in your house that get on your nerves? Are you? I'll tell you, I'm not. For all the old folks in here, I just apologize for this analogy and this illustration, but it's, it needs to be said. said, My kid, Javin, comes running over me with his buddy. Actually, I think it was one of the Arguello kids. White-faced, worried. What happened? That old old man over there yelled at me and told me to get off his grass. Immediately, I'm like, what is wrong with old people? My kid's not going to ruin your grass. And then I just thought, I'm going to go over to him. I'm going to threaten him. (laughs) I'm going to say, you ever say that to my kid again. I was, I was up, I was ready in my head. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm arguing with him in my head. I'm, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Use that one. That'll be good. <laughs> right. I was ready. My seven year old son, you're going to come out yelling at you old buzzard. I'm going to come hang you for, I'm going to get you. Like I'm, I was mad. I'm like, this is, this is a joke. Why do old people get so upset about their grass? Right? And what is that? That's a lack of love. That's a fail. That's a, I just failed a love test. Jesus says, Love your neighbors, and then he just ups the ante and says, Well, what about the enemies? Love your enemies. Oh, painful. See this? Love is patient. Are you patient with God? Are you patient with others? If you say no, like I have to say no. I say no, I I, I am not I am not patient. You know what that does? I just failed this love test. Heaven is a world for lovers. Heaven is a world for patient people. Nobody's gonna be in heaven going, where is that waiter? I've been here for six minutes and I don't have a water. Right? If you bring your impatience to heaven, you just ruined heaven for all of us. We're enjoying the scenic view. We're waiting patiently with our dinner. And you're crabby over here. You're ruining our experience of heaven. If you bring your impatience to heaven, you ruin heaven. See? Heaven is for patient perfectly patient people. There's a test to get into heaven. It's a love test. Do you love God? Are you patient with God? Perfectly patient with God. That says, if he brings it to me, he he meant it for my good. This person gets on my last nerve. God put her here for a reason, to change my heart, to soften me, to make me into a more patient person. That's the fun thing about patience, right? It's only developed in opportunities where you can be impatient. Waiting. So that's terrifying, is it not? Is that if you go through this text, te- if you go through this text and you read it as it is, a test of Christians, a test of Christianity, a test to get it into heaven, it should be terrifying to us. Nobody should go. I knew I was a lover. Patient, got it. Not arrogant, never rude. Nope. Wants his own way? That's not me. Is not irritable? Never irritable. Resentful? Who? Me? No. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. No, I don't think so. Rejoices with the truth? Yes, I do. Bears all things, you know? I'm kind of like that. Believes all things. That's my job description. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never ends. Oh, I'm so encouraged. That's me. Fast track to the kingdom. Put me at the front of the line, Jesus. That's describing me. If that's a Christian, I'm the man. (laughs) My my kids were watching this. The one Disney movie that I think I'd never seen, which which was The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And I wanted to say that it was, I didn't want you to all, I've been quoting Steinbeck and I've been quoting different people and I didn't want you to think like I'm just sitting around reading fine literature all the time. I've actually never read the book. I was watching the Disney movie, okay? And the songs are going on, and there's this religious guy, and he's out there, and he's like, he's throwing people in jail, and he's, he's, he's doing the right thing, it looks like. And the song's coming on, and I, my kids are dancing and swinging around, and I'm not really paying attention, but I hear this one line from the Hunchback of Dame, and he says this, this man, he could see wickedness everywhere except within. He could see wickedness everywhere, except within. See, he was this just guy. He could see all the wrongs that needed to be righted, but he couldn't see the wickedness of his own heart. He couldn't see his own pride, his own insecurity, his own fear. He couldn't see his own lack of love in his heart. And I don't want that to be us. And I don't think Paul wants that to be us, or Paul wants that to be the Chris, the Corinthians. So he's like, you're gifted to the moon, But look at the heart. You fail the love test. The only thing that matters, you fail. It's terrifying. Heaven's a world for lovers, and I don't have enough love in my heart to get me there. It's terrifying. But it's also wonderful. And it's wonderful for two reasons. First, it's incredibly freeing. Because I read this text and I go, oh man. Oh 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 no. Oh no. There is not, I can't put this on my wall and go, I'm going to do it every day. I can't put, tattoo this on my arm. Look, 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to crush this every day. Right? Put this on my coffee cup, wear it on my t-shirt. That is like, That would be like just condemning me all day long if I really understood it. I'm drinking my coffee, 1 Corinthians, love is patient. Love is kind. Listen, but it's freeing. How is it freeing? Because there's no way we can measure up. There's no way we can do it. There's no way we can be that patient and that kind and that gentle and have that much self-control. There's no way we can bear all things. There's no way we can carry that weight. There's no human possibility for us. It, It can't happen. It can't happen. So it should be freeing. It should be completely freeing. Stop acting like you can. Stop acting like this is your job description. It ain't you. Well, how, well, hold on. And it should do this. Love is patient. I'm not patient. Crap. Hold on, Justin. Hold on, Justin. Hold on, Justin. Do you remember a year ago? Oh, I do remember a year ago. Do you remember you a year ago? Ooh. I don't like to go there, but yes, I do remember me a year ago. How about three years ago? Whew. How about seven? How about eight? How about 10? Are you more patient today than you were then? My wife would say yes. Praise God. Listen, and I could go every single one of these lists, and I go, is he making me into a more loving person today? than I was a year ago, three years ago, five years ago. Absolutely. Well, then listen, I know love doesn't come from me. I know I can't humanly produce this and make this happen. I read this list and I go, that's not me. So therefore, if I look and I am growing in grace, then I can say it's nothing but the grace of God at work in me. That's why it's freeing. I can't go home and go, patience, patience. Right? Right? like you're going to squeeze a fruit out. (laughs) If it comes out, it ain't a fruit. (laughs) See, it's freeing. If I can see in myself any love, if I can see in myself any true warmth for God and others, it's not there because I earned it. It's there because God put it there. That's grace. See, listen, I am not fit for heaven. You, if you can come to the end of yourself and see this, you are not fit for heaven. You and I both failed the love test miserably, but there was one who was fit for heaven. But there was one who aced every love test God put into his life. See, this chapter describes Jesus and it's the only way to read this text and actually walk away with a smile unless you read it wrongly and it gives you warm fuzzies. For We know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That God loved us so much, he sent his one and only son, and that Jesus loved us so much that he passed every love test perfectly patient, perfectly kind, all self-control. He bore all things literally on the cross. He bore all our sin. Love is Jesus. God's love made flesh is Jesus. God's love, this Oh, does God really love us? He's up there in heaven. How could he possibly? He proved his love for us by incarnating his son, sending his son down to walk and talk so we could look and see that's what love looks like. So anytime we have something bad come into our life, we don't judge God's love based on what we're experiencing now. We can always look back at the cross and go, no, I know he loves us because he gave us his son. No matter if my children get sick, no matter if my wife gets sick, no matter if I get sick, no matter if I lose my job, come hell or high water, I know God loves me because of the cross. Can you see that love? See, there's an intellectual, there's a light that's got to come, and you got to see that. you got to see God's love in Jesus Christ. There's an intellectual awareness, an awakening that's got to happen. But also, can you feel that love, Christian Those who get it, those who are cognitively aware, is there heat? Does that light bring a heat? Does it set set a fire on your heart? Does it make you want to sing when you read these words in worship? Does it make you want to rejoice and teach your kids about it? Is there a warmth there that makes you want to walk across the yard and greet that mean neighbor? Is there a warmth? See, and I think that, that only comes When we we look to the source of love, when we look at Jesus, the only one who deserved the love of God. And what did he do? He gave it up. On the cross it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what Jesus said. Nowhere else in all of this text of scripture and all the gospels, Jesus always refers to, to God as my father, daddy, Abba. But on the cross, he said, My God, my God. He was abandoned so we could be brought in. He felt the wrath of God so we could have the love of God. See, Jesus was willing to lose it all so you could have it. Jesus was the love of God made flesh. Jesus himself said, I come not for those who don't need a doctor. I come from the sick. I come for the sick. I come for the lost. I come for the lame and the broken. I come to heal the sick, to radically change loveless people into lovers, self-centered people, into God-centered, gracious, loving people. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, as I close, really, really brief, Second reason this is wonderful, the church can mirror the the culture where successful people lead the show and run the thing, and all highly gifted, highly talented people are the ones who get to talk, and the ones who get to lead, and the ones who get to serve, so then there can be this two-class structure that we saw last week that said, oh, I'm gifted, that means I'm good. Oh, I'm not gifted, that means I'm meaningless or worthless. And Paul goes, after he already said all that last week, but now... Paul shows us right here. No, no, no. It's not about gifts. It's about love. There's only a few of you who will ever speak from the stage, right? Like, you do have to have a little bit of, you know, you have to be able to get up here and actually not worry about what other people say. <laughs> Make a fool of yourself sometimes. And there's, most of you don't want this job, would never want this job, or would be really scared to get up here. Very few of you will ever preach from the stage. Even probably fewer, well, maybe not. Very few of you will sing from the stage thank god <laughs> right? listen if you ever stand back by that sound booth and you hear me you'll be thanking god that i don't sing from the stage right see gifts are gifts and there some people have some gifts and some people don't have some gifts and if you can't sing sorry if you can't preach sorry but what paul's saying everyone can be patient <laughs> Everyone can love. Everyone can be kind. Everyone can be gentle. Everyone can have self-control. See, the gifts of the Spirit are kind of selective. You have some, you don't have others. The fruit of the Spirit are for everyone. And what the church needs is not more gifts. The church needs more fruit, more humble people, more kind people, more hospitable. That's what we need. More gracious people. You don't have to be highly gifted to be somebody in God's kingdom. You have to love. And where does that love come from? We love because he first loved us. That's where it comes from. He reached out. He saved. He took the heart of stone. He gave you a heart of flesh. He's at work right now with every detail of your life making you more like Jesus, making you into a more loving person. So... If you're not a Christian in this room, I'd say, what are you waiting on? Oh, I'm comparing different options, looking at different religions. There's no other religion out there like this. where you don't have to perform to get your way in. God actually reaches down in your mess and changes you in the spot and then says, I'll be with you forever and I'll continue to work this out. And it has nothing to do with your behavior. See what I've done on the cross. See the love of God. Believe the love, feel the love, receive the love. And that will change you from the inside out over the next 50, 60 years. Right? And Christian. So easy to get our identity from what we do. I doubt my goodness. I think back on what what smart, clever thing I said in Fight Club or in missional community. Or every time that phone call rings and it's some needy person on the line, it just tells me that I'm somebody. I know I'm needed. Or every time I write that check, so easy to trust in our effort. I uh, know I ain't no bum. Paul says, we can't trust in any of those things. We must cling to love who came and got us. We must cling to grace of God and Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can give us an identity that can't be shaken and can't moved. So as you come to the table today, if you're a believer, repent, for trusting in false things, repent for looking for an identity in other places, and ask the Father to give you the light and the heat that comes from the love of God being poured upon us, poured into our hearts. In Romans 5, it says the Spirit pours the love of God into our heart. I ask Him to do that for you this morning. Let me pray. Father, it's a privilege that I get to call you Father because you're a god of love you are this is, God is love and, that, and because I look at this text and I say I'm not love and I don't love well and I fall short often I'm not fit to be your, per, your child I'm not fit to call you dad but Jesus Christ was he looked just like you on this earth and he lived perfect life he loved well and Jesus took my place. The wrath that I deserve for not being loving, the judgment that I deserve from a, a God of love because I'm, I fight against your love and I don't re- reciprocate your love. The wrath that I deserve for that, Christ took on himself on the cross. and He paid my debt. He cleared my record. He forgave all my sins. And he through the power of the Holy Spirit, he now gives me. He pours the love of God into this lovesick heart. And you're at work even now. And as you rule and reign and behold, you're making all things new. You're making me new. And you're making this church new. And you're making believers new. That you're working on us. We thank you for it. It's not our good works. It's not our right beliefs not our gifts. It's your grace. So as we eat this meal today, we take the body of Christ that was broken for us and the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Let us eat grace. And God, would it go down into our soul, go down into our body, go down into our soul and change us from the inside out. Help us love well, like you have loved us well.